Get connected with Take-Two Radio on Facebook or Twitter at Take-Two Radio. For email updates on future shows, follow at Blog Talk Radio. For previous episodes, upcoming guests, and more, visit Take-Two-Radio.com. Welcome to the Mallard Report, the fastest hour in paranormal talk radio. Aired live, where the host and guests exchange thoughts and opinions with interaction from the duck pond. And now your host, Jim Mallard. Ah, yes. Much better that time. Hope everybody's staying warm. My guest tonight is Lee Stranahan. I, I kept, you know, I psyched myself up all day that I was going to mispronounce and call you Strahan for some reason. I don't understand that. I get that all the time. But why? Why is it? Just because, because we're all lazy? No, well, that's part maybe. But part of it also could be that there's, the, uh, there's a football player, yeah. Strahan. Yeah. Um, they're all variants. It's all variants of the same Irish, you know, name, but... There's Shanahan. There's a few different ones that you get. Yeah, well, that's like the Mallard, because obviously some idiot somewhere along the line just threw an I in there just for fun. That's right, yes. <laughs> that's right, yeah. No, I, I, like I say, yeah, I get that. I've got to be honest. Before the Internet, I didn't know how many Stranahans there were either. There's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot more than I knew about. And so uh, so it's it's interesting. But before the Internet, I was the... You know, me and my family were the only ones I knew, so. Well, you know, you know you bet it's funny that you mentioned that because, you know, Mallard's kind of, you know, I got the dot-com and all this other stuff rather easy. I can get anything I want. I went to Instagram to get it, and it wasn't there. And I was like, what? Somebody already took my name? And then found out it's, you know, some cousin or something. I'm like, ah, no, <laughs> they beat me on one. Dang. Yeah, I was lucky. I was lucky to get Stranahan early when the dot com thing started i got stranahan and su- subsequently i'm sure there are other there's the stranahan theater in toledo ohio and the stranahan house which is an attraction in florida and i'm sure they all would have loved to and stranahan's whiskey out in colorado again none of which i'm involved with but uh i've got the good domain name so there <laughs> i was gonna say can, can we get you involved with the whiskey no no yeah <laughs> okay actually two important things what you're you're a, a investigative reporter. What, what run down your brief bio for everybody? I guess before I ask my first question, I guess we should preference everything with some knowledge. Yeah, sure. I worked in Hollywood for. I moved. To, I grew up in Massachusetts. I, I, I went to Hollywood when I was 18. I did theater for about a decade, and I did technical stuff. The most important thing I did out there, uh, and industry-wise, was visual effects and graphics. Um, and I taught a lot and I started a magazine and stuff. So I've been doing video production for close to 40 years now, since I was 14 years old. So going on between 35 and 40 years now. And, uh, and I was, uh, I started a magazine and a user's group and everything about something called the video toaster, which was an Amiga based, uh, video product that I became a big expert in. And then that led to a a lot of stuff, including, like I say, visual effects work and graphics. I worked on the TV show Access Hollywood as a graphic artist for five years. Um, 
And uh, while I was working at Access Hollywood in my 40s, I'm 52 now, while I was working there, I started, uh, I did some comedy videos that took off. And I was a Democrat at the time. And the comedy videos got a lot of play because I did them during the writer's strike. I ended up on CNN twice in a week and so on. And that led to writing for the Huffington Post as doing comedy. And that led to reporting when the John Edwards story broke. No one at that time, the Huffington Post, no one stopped you from writing about whatever you wanted to. So I started doing reporting, which I'd always been interested in, but I'd been told that I couldn't do it without a degree. And I never liked that. I'm not, I'm not that kind of person. And so uh, I never got a degree for any of the, the work I did in Hollywood. And so suddenly no one was stopping me from doing reporting. And I found out I was good at reporting and I liked it. Then a couple of years later, I met Andrew Breitbart from uh, Breitbart uh, News. And I interviewed him because I'd interviewed a lot of people by this point. And we hit it off immediately. And that started the big curve in my life where I started reporting full-time uh, as a job. And we uncovered a big government scandal called the Pigford story. And uh, later after Andrew died, the New York times in a front page story completely confirmed everything we'd been reporting a couple of years earlier. But at the time we were just attacked and Andrew hired me because I was a Democrat. And then uh, you know, about a year and a half into knowing Andrew and working together, we made a film that Steve Bannon directed called Occupy Wall Street. Andrew and I are the co-narrators of that. And uh, after Andrew died, I'd worked with him long enough where it really changed my view of what a conservative is. And I was like, well, if Andrew's a conservative, then I'm, then I'm a conservative because he, he wasn't the way the media was trying to make him out. And then... So that's about, you know, five years uh, or so, going on six years that Andrew died, six years in June. And uh, in uh, forgive me, in uh, uh, March, forgive me. And uh, he died right at the end of February. So um, uh, so that's going on uh, six years now. And then, you know, I worked for Breitbart. I was a lead investigative reporter. I quit a couple times and was fired once uh, all over stories, but I covered a lot of big stories there, including the Pulse shooting in Orlando, the AME church shooting in Charleston, the Umco Community College shooting, uh, big stories about George Soros and Huma Abedin. And uh, I went to Lebanon. I had to quit to do that, but I went to Lebanon in 2013. And I was ahead of the story on ISIS and uh, the Syrian refugee crisis. I went up to Twin Falls, Idaho, and covered stuff about uh, Chobani yogurt and uh, the other industry up there and how it, how it had influenced the media coverage of a, a rape of a five-year-old girl. And I covered the student bill rape case and I don't know, 20, you know, a lot of, a, a bunch of stories. And then earlier this year, I, uh, I was in DC, I'd moved to DC and I was covering the white house. I've covered about, I don't know, 40 white house press briefings. And I was covering them for Breitbart, and they asked me to stop, and that doesn't go over. So that was the second time I quit. And so I quit. Now I host a radio show on Radio Sputnik, 105.5 FM in D.C., three hours a morning, um, uh, 7 to 10 a.m., called Fault Lines at Nixon and Stranahan. I love it. It's, a, it's great. 
Uh, it's a great show. And uh, I have a, my own website called Populist TV, and then I have CitizenJournalismSchool.com, where I try to teach people how to do the kind of journalism that I've been doing for a decade now and uh, why I'm able to get stories right and get ahead of the curve in, in story after story, which I've been able to do. So that's that's the – boy, that seems long even to me, but that's the bio. <laughs> I was going to say that, but it's, it's all – it's all pertaining to what we're getting to. And so the the toughest question I'm going to ask you all night, well, that's a lie. I'd probably be one later that's tougher than that. But th- this one is pretty tough. What is news today? I mean, not, not don't give me headlines, but because it, yeah, it seems to me everything comes with an capital opinion. Capital N news. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very good question. And it's something, it's part of why I started the Citizen Journalism School, um, uh, Andrew, uh, one of the things is I'm, I'm fiercely loyal to Andrew's legacy because the guy was, uh, Andrew Breitbart was the single most important person in the history of digital news. He was there at the Drudge Report when Monica Lewinsky broke. Huffington Post was his idea. Breitbart's obviously had a huge impact. And uh, I saw a lot of people talking about citizen journalism. The thing I noticed from the first story I covered, which was the John Edwards story. And I was a Democrat and nobody else was talking about it. And I just noticed how lazy and bad media is. And I, I kind of knew it right in the same way that most people in the audience, if you ask them, do you think the news is really super trustworthy? I think most people would say no, but I didn't, I never knew how bad it was. And then I covered the Pigford story and I learned how bad it was that here's a story, a multi-billion dollar scandal and everyone in the media was just covering it up. They didn't want to talk about it. And, uh, so I would like to tell you that news today is worse than it once was, but I think it's always been bad. And, uh, I think it really took a, a turn around 1947 when the CIA was formed. And out of, uh, and the reason I say that is because we're seeing it right now with this Russiagate thing. The, the, the media spent a year on a story that's provably false. Just in, It's inaccurate. It's not true. And they do it in a variety of techniques. And one of the biggest things they do, because in my opinion, it's misdirection, is if you look at the history of the CIA, the founding of the CIA, the first thing that they did, so the the deal here as well, it's election interference, and it's, you know, Russia bought Facebook ads. Okay, the first thing the CIA did out of the gate was election interference in Italy. Look it up. Anybody can look this up. And they paid for ads, and they spent millions of dollars doing it. And they did it for decades. And, you know, what the media is, is it's a tool of two groups of powerful people, people in government and uh, really rich people. I don't know how else to put it. You know, elitist, but, you know, big business and the people who run big businesses. And it's essentially a PR arm. It's essentially a PR and disinformation arm for that. And unfortunately what's happened is Andrew's goal with 
citizen journalism and new media was never to be just as bad as the other side, but for the right. His goal, Andrew saw all this stuff, and he was like, well, fake news wasn't a term when Andrew was alive, but he would have immediately been like, yes, exactly. And uh, what I've seen is a lot of people on the right now are suddenly like, okay, well, if they're going to lie, well, we can lie. And I just don't, I don't agree with that. And so, you know, my idea is that what news should be, what people need, what people want, is they want the facts. People are busy. They're trying to figure out the world. They want to protect their family, protect their, you know, lives and property. And they're trying to get the information to know, okay, is Russia, do I, should I be afraid of Russia? Are they going to kill me? Who should, you know, is there going to be a nuclear war? Should I be afraid of Black Lives Matter? Should I be I uh, be I afraid of Muslims? Should I be whatever, whatever it is? Should I be afraid of white people? Should I be afraid of Christians? Right? And the media narrative on a lot of this stuff is right now, for instance, the dominant media narrative is, oh, you have to be afraid of white Christians, for instance, um, in in America. That's the media narrative, and the the opposite of that is just reality. It's not it's not counter hype. It's not hyping up the dang, you know, it's not you don't have to hype up the dangers of Islam in my opinion in my opinion uh, pretty clearly Islam has issues and people in Islam are aware of that issue uh, those issues and you can discuss them so in my opinion you don't need to hype it up terrorism's clearly on the rise on the other hand it's not really another hand it's the same hand our government our our government has been involved in coups and assassinations and everything else and has created this disinformation, and they use the media. There's no question about it. And when I see the way they use the media, when I see the media consolidation, there's six companies that control 90% of the media outlets out there, and so on and so on, it's, uh, it's disconcerting. But I, So what I think news is today is what it always has been, which is uh, essentially propaganda used by the wealthy and powerful to keep their wealth and power. But the good news is the Internet's making uh, shows like yours possible and the stuff that I'm doing possible. And while we still have our freedoms, I think people should use them. So does that... Yes, that answers my question. It led to about five more. So Okay. (laughs) Which is good. I guess I, I guess I'm, I wrote this, this the other one down here, so we'll, we'll get back. Well, it's here to get back to if we get to it. Um, let's talk about fake news because the first time I heard the fake news thing, I thought, yeah, that'd be good to get rid of those sites that you know pop up with nine million ads and you know all this other stuff on Facebook and wherever. I'm like, oh, it'd be good to get rid of those. And then I heard somebody talking about people that talk about conspiracies, and then that's when I started to pay attention, because that's kind of, you know, paranormal conspiracies, you know, all these fun little things that I talk about, and I went, oh, good God, I'm I'm screwed, because Google's going to derank me, and I'm just not going to ever be found again. I'm just going to be talking to myself for the rest of my life. And then somewhere in those few days where I was just really out to lunch about trying to figure out what I, you know, do I delete all those tags and all this other stuff, I seen a tweet about CNN being fake news, and I went, holy hell, I totally misunderstood what the hell they were talking about. Well, but you didn't. You didn't. What the, the, What's fascinating is 
the mainstream media is is really ticked off right now because they started the fake news term to describe sites like Breitbart and stuff when I was working there. And then it got turned around, and now uh, uh, it, it applies broadly. But, you know, one of the big, you know, I mentioned Andrew a couple times. One of Andrew's big principles that he said many, many times was uh, still one that I believe in, which is more voices, not less. That's what he was in favor of. He was in favor of more voices, not less voices. So Andrew was a big free speech advocate, as I am. And uh, there are sites and people that I'm critical of, but I never tell people not to read them because that's a huge mistake. The The Edwards story that I covered, the John Edwards affair story that I that I broke a bunch of news on, that was originally reported by the National Enquirer. Now, uh, does the National Enquirer ever get stories wrong? Of course they do. Every Everybody does, right? Um, but what I looked at, and I did the research, I looked at what the National Enquirer was saying. I'm like, well, they're just saying that they, they caught John Edwards and he hid in the bathroom of this hotel at 3 in the morning from the reporter. That seemed a little suspicious to me. And uh, so I called the Beverly Hills police. And I said, is it true that John Edwards hid in the... And they confirmed it. So then at that point, I wasn't taking the National Enquirer's word for it. I called the police and they confirmed what the Enquirer had reported. But for months and months and months, I see people do this all the time. You can't... When I was at Breitbart, oh, you can't trust Breitbart. When, we, when Andrew and I worked on the Anthony Weiner story, the original one. Well, you don't have to believe it. It's Breitbart. On the Pigford story, you don't have to believe it. It's Breitbart. Now I see people doing the same thing. I saw Breitbart doing it on the Roy Moore story. Oh, it's the Washington Post. You can't believe it. Well, no, that's not... No. What you do is you look at the statements that people make. You run them down. You confirm what you can confirm. You listen to claims and counterclaims. And I don't care whose name's on the masthead. So I think it's dangerous... Uh, I'm, I've been critical of Breitbart, I've been critical of Infowars, I'm critical of Washington Post every day, New York Times, but I read them all, and uh, the, people I, the people I respect the most don't try to shut you down or censor you. And that's why, I mean, I'm on Sputnik, I host Radio Sputnik, it's, it's public-funded Russian, right? But they never tell me what to do, they never tell me what to say, and... If they did, I'd quit because I'm not afraid to quit jobs. And but I see people who are like, oh, it's Russia. I don't know. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm like, well, have you ever? I'm like, well, have you listened to it? They're like, no. I'm like, well, maybe you should because maybe you get what we're doing because it's not what you think we're doing. And uh, so I so uh, like I say that principle of more voices, not less, is really one of my bedrock principles. And I had it before I met Andrew, but he summed it up very well, which is. People should read everything. You can't trust anybody, which doesn't mean you can't trust anybody. It means trust facts, not authors or sources. And do your own research and try to sift things out, and uh, good luck. That's, that's, my, that's, that's all you can do. And I totally agree with that. This- Take take everything with a pound of salt. I you, you just, I know the saying is take everything with a grain of salt, but anymore you just got to take off a whole pound of salt and just 
and then pound the salt and figure out what's right and what's actually out there. But that's a whole other. Yeah. So you mentioned the CIA, which kind of bat, which leads me to my next question: Were they overwhelmed? Because there for a while, I mean, you had your newspapers, you had TV news at what uh, six, eleven, and six. They're you know kind of controlling their you know, and the big network news there at whatever. To this now mass explosion of people out talking and digging and all this other stuff, did the internet catch them off guard when it came to all this stuff? Well, yeah, and I think what we're seeing is, look, well, you know, what I say to people is that the iPhone is ten years old, right? So it's only been throughout the entire history of humanity 10 years that, and, and really it's probably only been five of that, that most people, because when the iPhone first came out, there were still flip phones and everything else that you couldn't, write. But everybody right now, everybody I know, everybody you know, you know, rounded off, is walking around with a supercomputer in their pocket that is capable of communicating with the world through a variety of means, text, audio, video, images, and lets you research stuff instantly. So if, if, if I'm walking down the street and, you know, uh, you know uh, Barack Obama jumps out of a car naked and starts running around, That'll be all over the news. I, I'll if I grab my you know my phone, start shooting video and post it to Twitter. That'll be literally around the world in about ten minutes. Everybody, you know what I mean? Like something shocking. By the way, that hasn't happened. But <laughs> but that would be around the world in about ten minutes. That's unprecedented. Furthermore, I can research stuff. If you tell me something and I'm like, nah, I don't know about that, I can look it up. And if I have basic research skills, which everybody's figured out, you know, we've seen this now. There's a terror attack. They announce the person's name. Everybody knows to go to Facebook now, right? Everybody knows to do that now. And they do it right away because they're worried about the, it being taken down. So, yeah, so we're in a really interesting point that's never existed in the entire history of mankind. Now, what didn't happen in the past 10 years is there was no one who said, hey, everybody, you now have an awesome amount of communications and information power at your fingertips 24-7. Let's explain logic to you. Let's explain how to, what a logical fallacy is. Let's go over how to form an argument. Let's talk about what ad hominem is or what poisoning the well or whatever, right? And so uh, in, in, a, in a very real and meaningful sense, it's like giving a machine gun to a caveman. It's, 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 you can do it, and maybe eventually the caveman will be good, but there's going to be some casualties in the meantime, right? Right. And, and I think, and I, I'm confident, let me, let me put it like this, I'm confident that the technology is going to win, but... Clearly, the establishment is freaking out about it, and that's why the CIA's got a $600 million contract with Jeff Bezos from Amazon, which is not debatable. They do. And that's why Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post, and that's why the sources for all these Washington Post stories seem to be unnamed intelligence sources. So they're absolutely freaked out about it, and uh, – but – 
how are they going to win? They ultimately, they can't win. And so this is why, and even, by the way, I think this Me Too moment that's happened in the past few months, starting with the Harvey Weinstein story, is just another example of how information can't be held. You know, I mean, people from the electronic, I forget who said it. I, 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 maybe it was, I forget, it was a sci-fi author. Uh, maybe it was Neil Stevenson. Or I forget who said information wants to be free. Uh, but they're right. <laughs> information, information, you know, it's a metaphor, obviously, but it wants to be free. It wants to get out there. And once it gets out there, people start spreading and it goes around like wildfires. But I, I, I think that I'm fine as, as a free, you know, as a free speech advocate, I don't want to shut down even wrong stuff. I'm not trying to shut down somebody because they're wrong. I try to dispute it. Uh, the other quote that I like is a Supreme Court quote that said the solution for bad speech is more speech. And I 100% believe that. So if there's, if there's somebody getting out there a story that I, I think is inaccurate, I need to do a better job of presenting accurate information or clarifying where it's inaccurate. And uh, if people get in the habit of doing that, the establishment, by which I mean these powerful forces of government and, and, and business, they can't win. Ultimately, they can't win. They can win for a little bit, but but they can't win at the end, you know. So, so I guess my next question, since you, we kind of talked about the uh, the journalism school a little bit, is how do we become better reporters or better present, maybe even just presenters of information? Well, there's 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 multiple aspects to being a journalist, right? So so. Uh, there's research, um, there's thinking, I don't know how else to put it, but like thinking through a, a story, research will give you a lot of data, but it doesn't tell you how to, the data doesn't tell you how to organize it. Then there's presenting, as you say, which can be writing. First off, the first fundamental question is what do you leave in or out? And then, but another even more fundamental question is what format do you want to present it in? If I'm working on a big story, do I want to present it as a series of blog posts? Do I want to present it as a movie, as a short movie, as a long movie, as a book, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? So um, then there's promotion, which if you're a voice in the wilderness, which most of us are, unless you have access to uh, resources of like a Breitbart that's got, you know, millions of viewers. How do you promote the work, especially when you're counter narrative and you're going against CNN? You're not because you're not going against CNN. You're going against CNN and MSNBC and frankly, Fox and New York Times. So if you have a narrative that nobody else is talking about it and, and Breitbart and I, Andrew and I used to talk about this all the time because he was up against that. He faced that problem. And uh, so that's another aspect of it. So I always and we teach all the aspects of that in the school because you have to. Um, maybe a podcast is the best way to present information, right? Maybe whatever. But it all goes. But a lot of it goes back to the research and then thinking it through. Because, as I say, there becomes a problem where just data is not enough. Just just the data. In fact, in fact, you can get to a point where too much data. Uh, has a paralyzing effect. 
and um, it keeps you from actually writing a story or doing something or even writing a tweet or whatever. And it's, it's tricky to know when to stop going down the rabbit hole and start writing because the, because the irony is that often presenting the information, stopping research to present the information can yield some of the best information because suddenly people see you're out there doing stuff and then they contact you and they say, Hey, I saw you writing about this story. Here's something you might not know. And if you, if you only researched, if you only just stayed in your room and researched and never presented it, that person never would have reached out to you. So it's a weird symbiotic relationship and it's more art than science in the sense that there's no formula. Every story is different. Uh, detangling misinformation or disinformation is a huge factor. Uh, I mean, I, you, you know, if you talk about paranormals, I mean, for instance, the, the government has just recently acknowledged the existence of Area 51 and that it was used for UFO research, and they spent a lot of money. I saw a Washington Post piece on this. Now, we've seen this in the, in the Kennedy assassination, too. They gradually are letting out information. Now, for years, of course, the official line was anybody who said there was any UFO research going on at Area 51 was a conspiracy crank nutcase, right? Right. Now they've admitted some of it, right? They've admitted some of it. My guess is there's more that they're not admitting. My, my guess is that they're not admitting everything. But uh, until such time as they admit more, you're stuck with conjecture on certain points, but you're not stuck with conjecture on other points. And the Kennedy assassination is another perfect example of this, where what we know for sure is I can't tell you who killed Kennedy. I don't know that. And I've never read any reputable source where I go, okay, well, that's clearly... It's this guy who did it. And I go, that's convincing. But that's not really the goal. You know, the goal of uh, the CIA's disinformation campaigns is not to present information. It's to create a situation where, uh, in a quote that I read recently, people will know nothing for sure but believe anything. And that's great. You know, if you're trying to control people, that's perfect. That's what you want. You want people who don't actually know anything, are very confused about things, uh, can't know anything for sure, but if you tell them something, they'll just, and you, no matter how uh, nonsensical it is on the face of it, they'll just buy, buy into it. And so with the Kennedy assassination, we've learned, for instance, that no one even doubts it anymore, that yes, the CIA was trying to kill Castro. Well, that was hidden for people from a long time, including people in the government. They, they didn't know that that's going on. We, we have a recent example where uh, the uh, soldiers who were killed in Africa, there was a congressman who came out and said, I didn't know we had soldiers in Africa. That's a congressman. <laughs> that should be frightening to, to everybody. Now, that story got very short shrift, but that's what happened. A congressman came out and said, I didn't know we had those soldiers there. They only found out about it after they died. So, uh, you know, that's where we are. That's the world we live in right now. Now, this is my personal theory, and it's based off some things I've picked up through the years doing this show. But 
going back to the UFO thing, I found the timing of that story, what was it, two or three days before Christmas on a Friday afternoon or a Saturday, whenever that came out, interesting. Because that, well, you do your show Monday through Friday. Most people do shows Monday through Friday. So you throw that out there after that and before Monday rolls around, something else has come up and they're not even going to talk about it, but they can say, hey, we told you that years ago, but nobody talks about it. Right, yeah. So I'm not delusional when it comes to that, this whole quote-unquote news dumping stories over the weekend or late Friday. There's a uniquely American method of propaganda. And when most of us hear about propaganda, what we picture is the Soviet Union or North Korea, or Iran, where there's a state media source. You know, there's TASS and Pravda. There's the North Korean media. There's this Iranian state TV, right? And they tightly control what the public gets, and they only present one side of the story, but they do it because they, they have a, a, a funnel and there's one little thing, and, and people in America can look at that and go, well, gee, that's not at all what we have here. Look, I turn on my cable TV, i got 300 channels, and i got, I've got free access to the Internet. I can pretty much get to any website in the world, and I have devices. We're free, yay, we're free. What they don't realize is the American form of propaganda is to have not one news site give you a story, but to have 300 news sites give you that story. And that's why I say, uh, and again, I'm a conservative, so I, I see the difference between Fox and MSNBC, but I also see in areas where they're not at all different and when they're really pitching the same narrative. And I'm keenly aware of that. And... Uh, that's the American way of propaganda, which is, and and I, I think one of the ways they, and again, every look, everything that gets called a conspiracy theory, and by the way, I believe that there are incorrect, false conspiracy theories, but everything that uh, conspiracy tinfoil hat nut jobs think, oh, the government would do, well, they've done everything, everything, <laughs> like, False flag operations, we've done that. You know, if you look at the recently released Kennedy materials, but it had come out before, there was a proposal floated that, hey, maybe we should kill innocent people. Uh, someone pointed out to me today that if you look at MKUltra in the CIA, uh, one of the things they were looking into was whether they could use mind And so I'm not saying that I'm not I'm not at all I'm gonna be really clear, I'm hundred percent not saying that I think MK Ultra caused nine eleven, let's say, right? Right. I I don't have evidence of that. I don't think that. But what I can't tell you is gee, our government would ever even think of doing something like that. Because I know that they've thought of doing stuff like that. And therefore, in that sense you can't rule it out because, oh, the government would never, the U.S. government would never do anything like that. The U.S. government would never mount a false flag operation. The U.S. government would never lie to the American people for years and years about something. 
And uh, I just know better than that. And and everybody, I think, knows better than that. And and you know that's why I say you know you have to you have to take each story and each set of facts as it comes. You can't. Uh, it would be a lot easier on everybody if you could just go. Well, this is trusted news, and this is who I'm going to believe. But you can't. And that's why I tell people I'm not. I'm not even that. And I've I've never gotten a story wrong as far as I know. And I correct things. But I'm I'm not about. Well, trust me. Uh, I'm about here's the tools and the facts you need to figure out what's going on, and uh, that's what it's about. It's not about trust me, and I see way too much of that. And people are way too willing to trust whatever floats by. I don't know how else to put it, but they they really are, and uh, that's exactly uh, what the state and the media and everybody else would like you to do. That's exactly the kind of gullibility they want to keep going. And if you transfer it from them to somebody else, they're fine with that. They don't really care. Uh, uh, What they don't want is independent thinking. What they don't want is people being able to process information, make up their own minds and convey it in a factual way. That that's terrifying to them. Which uh, little curve, to this question, but it's in that same realm. I've noticed the, because you mentioned false flags, and I guess this is where that preference this question comes from. There's a race to be first, which is just disgusting with some of these things, because, I mean... I hate that, yeah. Yep, yep. I mean, I could, like, well, just preference it with the Vegas shooting. Like, okay, I wake up, I didn't even, I, you know, was asleep when it happened, didn't know it was happening, so I wake up, seven, six, seven hours later, and it's already a false flag attack, and, you know, da-da-da-da-da, and I'm like, wow, I mean, the paint's not even dry on this one yet. We've already got that nailed down. How did that happen so quick? And then you start trying to read some of these things, and it's like, come on, give give me a day here. Just to gather, you gather some facts and come back to me with something more than a tweet, or a Larry clip of cell phone video. How's that sound? Can we just touch the brakes on all this stuff? But I don't think we're ever going to get back to... I mean, I don't, I'm not saying that if you have real evidence of something, that's fine. But if you're just saying something to get the clicks because you can get out there first, ugh, disappoints me. I guess probably it's, really disappoints you. It's very disappointing. I was on the radio. I woke up I wake up at 5 in the morning to get into the studio to do the show for 7. So it had it was fresh when I woke up. Then when I got in, it was like I forget the numbers, but it was like a, when I was going into work, it was a dozen people killed. Then it was like thirty people killed. It just kept evolving, right? And well, I'll tell you. I mean, another similar story for me was the shooting down here where Steve Scalise was shot. That happened. I was the first reporter on the scene. Uh, periscoping from there and uh, one of the first reporters down there and we got down there and what I said was what I always say to people is like look these are evolving situations let's be careful and we're going to try to get the facts right but I told people on Periscope I said in a lot of ways you're in a better position than I am because I'm walking around here trying to figure out what's going on. You're out there getting different data. Thankfully, we got that story right. But I warned people up front. I did that when the Vegas shooting broke in. I said, look, these numbers are going to change. 
And right now we don't know because we literally no idea what had happened. Was it a terrorist? Was it a Islamic terrorist attack? What was it? And we talked about how uh, on the air live while this was going on, you know, just while it was still fresh, because I host a morning radio show. So for some people, the first time they were hearing about the story was from me. And I take that responsibility seriously. So I'm trying to make sure we're giving them as accurate information as we can and enough warnings so that if we get something wrong, not on purpose, but we correct it, you know, if they said whatever, uh, you know, there's three gunmen and it turns out that there's one or there's one gunman and it turns out that there's three, that we can correct that right away. But, uh, but I just kept repeating to people like, look, this is early. But there are people who shamelessly, and I, and I mean it, they shamelessly shill for clicks. And I wish more people would tell them to go stuff themselves. Uh, but unfortunately, people go along with that. And so my frustration isn't with the P.T. Barnum journalists out there. It's with the audience. And I'm like, why do you, why do you keep listening to someone who's lied to you, who's just lied to you? And I don't mean got it wrong. I mean just lied, just kept going when clearly something was wrong and don't admit that they're wrong. And I don't understand it. Because I wouldn't do that. I would just be like, to me, it's fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. And once people don't correct errors and don't or block people or whatever, they've lost me at that point. I'm not saying I wouldn't listen to them ever, but I really got to take, I wouldn't just, re, I wouldn't just retweet what they've said. And it, bother, it does bother me. It does bother me. So now it's cast all these listeners aside. They love when I do this because this this is I'm going to get inside baseball stuff here. Sorry. Sure. You met you mentioned hosting a podcast, and that's what I do. But my attention is not to break any news by any standard. Mine's just kind of to put these interviews together for some days. Hopefully, somebody says, "Hey, oh, Reese Strahan, let's go see what he's about," and dials it up, and you know, gets a different picture of you than what they hear Monday through Friday or you know whenever. Yeah. So, but I think podcasting is an interesting medium because it seems like you, YouTube like exploded over the top of all this, and YouTube radio. So I guess my question is to you: Is this is this audio game, so to speak, radio podcasting? We'll just kind of call it audio for this moment. Is it sustainable, or does we do we have to, or do I have to translate the video? I mean. I have been doing some YouTube stuff and some Periscope stuff, but should I shift gears, I guess is the easiest way to ask this, and just forget all this audio junk and just go jump with both feet in the in the video and say, audio's been good for a while, but I've just got to keep up. Or is there, well, always, I mean, or, or is there always going to be a, a market for audio? Uh, there's, there's always a market for audio, and I think one of the things is you can do it uh, you can listen to, you know, I listen to audio when I'm on my way to the train or whatever. You know, you can listen to it. I can't watch video when I'm walking to the metro. Well, you shouldn't be watching video when you're walking anywhere. But anyways, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, right, right. You shouldn't be. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So you can't really. So I love audio for that. Now, I'll tell you the problem with both audio and video. 
because they, they both have a substantial problem technologically today, which is they're not searchable easily. What I mean by that is if I, wrote, if I write a 500-word piece about any topic, right, whatever, Ukraine, DN, Democratic National Committee stuff, that text is searchable by the Internet spiders out there that go through and figure out data. Now, if I do a podcast with the same material, it is not searchable. Furthermore, the search engine can't get me to the exact spot. So if, if, you, and, if you and I do this podcast and it's an hour long, and there's something about Area 51 that we talked about two minutes somewhere in the audio, the search engine has no way to hone in on that, and that's true whether it's audio or video. And this creates substantial problems for people trying to build an audience. The Internet is still based on text. So I use a service right now called Rev, rev rev.com, and Rev is a dollar a minute transcriptions, and they turn around fast. And I can't afford to do it for everything I do. But if we get a good segment on the radio show, I get text made of that segment, even if it's sending five minutes in. Because then, now I've got something that the search engines can, can get a hold of. Does that make sense? Like they can, yeah. they can grasp it. And I'll, I'll grab five minutes because I'm, I'm poor, right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm throwing a lot of money into the business, so I can't... Uh, if, I, if I were to do my whole radio show every day, that's 180 bucks, basically. And by the way, uh, not, we, do, we host a morning radio show, so there's a lot of jokes and silly stuff. But we do hard news, but it's not all archivable. Some of it's just entertainment. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. It's not all... It's not all gold, right? Yeah. So it's enjoyable to listen to, and it keeps people entertained. But you don't really need to hear about how tall Prince's shoes were when he is in the Little Red Corvette video, which we spent three minutes on the other day. <laughs> if you're trying to find out about Ukraine and Democratic National Co- Committee or whatever, right? So, so I don't have a I don't have a thousand bucks a week to put into doing that with every show. So I do select things. But the cool thing is I can do five minutes. I can post the five minutes. And then if people are interested, then they'll listen to the whole hour or whatever. So even if you don't want to do the whole hour, the thing I would advise anybody doing podcasting, anybody doing video podcasting, is take a a two-minute chunk and then maybe a ten-minute chunk. Uh and the two-minute chunk you can post on Twitter or other social media, most people will give you two minutes. And that might lead to, they're not going to give you an hour all the time, but they'll give you two minutes. And you know what? If they're interested in it, then they'll give you ten minutes, and then maybe they'll give you an hour. And so that's the one thing I would recommend for anybody trying to do this, is, is get your material out there in shorter formats and include text and just do that on every it's it's easy to post a podcast episode and by the way i i suck at practicing what i preach on this part 
because I have hours and hours and hours of podcasts that I have not done this for. So this is not, I'm not being judgy with it. Um, but I know I should do it because I know it's right. Where if you do an hour podcast, you've got a 10-minute version, a two-minute version, and it's got text, that's 10 bucks to do the transcript. Okay, people can do that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so that's the thing I would advise. And like I say, it's a problem. I don't care whether you're doing video or audio. It's exactly the same problem. I've been dabbling with that kind of thing, and I just haven't kicked myself in gear yet. But I, Well, I guess it was kind of, how do I say that, beta research, I guess, too. Just kind of trying to figure out where, you know, and a dollar a minute's better than what I was paying, so that's good to hear. So, yeah, no, and and that was Rev was one of those things that again I don't I'm not I I'm a client I'm not a sponsor or anything like that I get nothing I'm not I don't get anything for recommending them but they're very fast turnaround they're very accurate and they do a good job and boom you're done you just cut the, you cut what you want send it to them and it's done and even if even if ten if five two two bucks spend two bucks and get the get a hot two minute everybody there's nobody who can't do that nobody can't do that forgo a dunkin donuts cup of coffee and you got your two bucks but that's better than most people do at least get a few hundred words out of it um uh but that's what i've noticed is the big problem because we're doing 15 hours of radio a week and i realized a couple months into it i'm like oh this is all just going out into the nowhere you know, like we just did a great interview with somebody and no one's ever going to be able to find it. For now. Um, For now. Maybe that'll yeah. change. Well, well I, think, I think it will, but, I, but in the meantime, I can't wait. I can't wait for Google to start auto-transcribing. All the technology is kind of in place, but they're just not doing it yet. Well, have you seen those Google auto-transcriptions yet? It's in place, but man, I don't want them sending that off to a search engine. Right? <laughs> no, that's right. That's why I say it's close. I mean, I can see where it's going because voice recognition is close. So we're maybe five years away, maybe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe you know what I mean. But but I don't want to wait five years. No, you gotta you gotta get it now. That's what right, I've been trying right. to do. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, we've got ten minutes left. <sighs> man, this goes fast. Okay, so I, w I will, I'll give you the opportunity to get all your plugs out again, and then we'll start my infamous uh, hot takes rapid fire segment after that. So, sure. So I, the place I would recommend people go is citizenjournalismschool.com, and they can find out about the uh, the course. It's very you know journalism school is like fifty grand, and we're not fifty grand. I mean, the biggest thing we have is a lifetime membership, which is fifteen hundred bucks, and uh, it's 600 per year now, I think. And uh, uh, it's an online self-paced class where we have hours and hours and hours and hours of how to do research, how to do podcasting, how to, how to do everything. And uh, it's constantly expanding, and we're adding new classes all the time. So uh, that, that's where I would recommend people go. And I, I'm I'm very, very proud of it. I'm very, very proud of what we do. And I'm also very proud we don't have an ideological litmus test over there. And some of my biggest fans are people who don't agree with me politically and thought I was just, oh, he writes for Breitbart. This guy's a nut. They're liberals. And then they started looking at my stuff. They're like, oh, my God, he's, he's not lying. <laughs> and, and they become some of my biggest fans and biggest defenders are people who are like, I didn't, I didn't want to trust her likely at all. 
And But then I ran down what he said, and oh my God, he's telling the truth. And he proved it. And uh, so that's very gratifying. It's very gratifying that, you know what I mean, that you get yeah. people from... I'm, I'm all about moving the needle. Uh, I'm not interested in preaching the... Well, you shouldn't be. What? Oh, love that Skype moment there. That was good. Oh, okay. plus, I get, I get, also, I get also mention we've, we've had a lot... We've had a lot of people publish, too. One of my students has gone on to have 20 to 25 articles at Daily Wire, which is a major, you know, conservative website. And, you know, so I'm very, very happy with the with the work we've done. So, so let's, let's get this segment started. I love the, I sure. love doing this. This is fun. So what, what's your favorite meal? Uh, anything barbecue. Barbecue. I'm a, I'm a big barbecue fan. Wings? Uh, you know, not so much wings. I'm more into pig. Uh, okay. So, yes. pork and beef. Ah, yes. Here we go. That's good. Pork, pork and beef. So, you know, depending on the day and where I am in my mood, you know, it's going to be like sausage, good Central Texas sausage, Cruise Market or or Elgin sausage, uh, or uh, Burnett's. I love Burnett's. So the, fam- the famous question here, free people, dead or alive, that you could have dinner with? Wait, wait, so so go ahead. Free people, I, I heard the Skype cut there, so I know I was going to have to do that again. Uh, free people, dead or alive, that you could have dinner with? Um, well, I, I, Andrew. <laughs> uh, um... Hmm. Well, okay. So let, let me let me base it off Andrew. So if Andrew were there, I'm trying to think of two other people who'd be interesting to to uh, to have dinner with. Um. Uh. Well, you know, if it's dead or alive, since he's dead, if and if I could have picked the time, Huey P. Newton from the Black Panthers with Andrew, that would have been great. And then let's go with William Buckley too, just because that would be a good, that'd be that'd be fascinating. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's some people just go with you know people that they're just interested in, but sometimes you've got to add that element of, yeah, let's watch this instead of you know. But yeah, that's right. It would be I could just sit back and and let that roll for a while. That'd be interesting because of course Buckley was in the CIA. He was the CIA op, you know. Yeah. He was with the CIA, and I know, but. Fascinating guy, you know. Uh, and these aren't the people I find most fascinating in the world, but that would be a heck of a dinner. Yeah, you know, that's just it. You gotta, you know, plan accordingly. Um, yeah, that's right. What keeps you awake at night? Well, you probably sleep pretty well because you get up pretty early. But is there any one burning thing that keeps you awake? Um. Uh... You know, money. I mean, that's that's a factor. There's never quite enough money to do what I really want to be doing. Um, we're getting there. We're bootstrapping stuff. But uh, I I have never hit a point where I don't have to worry about money for like four months. You know what I mean? Like I've had a month, you know, here or there, where it's like, oh, okay, things are okay. I've never, ever... As long as I can remember, had like 
six months or a year where I'm not having to go like, okay, got to make sure I, I have grocery money next week. You know, I always have it, but that's because I worry about it. So I guess that, that's the answer. Unfortunately, yeah. money. Unfortunately, money. I know people who've achieved that, and they seem relatively happy. So, so. Yeah, I hear that old saying, money can't buy happiness, but I'd like to give it a shot. Right. That's Yes, <laughs> that's my theory. And I've gotten some people who've gotten to that point. And I can sort of see it. We're sort of kind of almost there. But the problem I have is every time I get there, I pour more money into the business. So, you know, so it's never quite quite hit there. But the radio things, I love it, but it's not it's not paying enough where it's all I have to do or where it, I'm not making that Hannity money or that Limbaugh, you know what I mean? Um, but well, that would be nice. That would be swell. As I say, those, those, well, especially Limbaugh, somebody's going to get that seat sooner than later. No offense, no, you know, no ill wishes or anything, but I mean. Sure, yeah. Yeah, well, although I think that, I think that we're increasingly in a, uh, I, I believe in the in the thousand true fans story, which is uh, if you have a thousand people who really believe in what you do, uh, you can you can do well. And so, you know, if I had a thousand yearly students at the school, I'd I'd be completely set. That's six hundred thousand. You know, just do the math. That's six hundred thousand dollars. That would allow me to hire people. That would allow me to pay the taxes and the bills and all that stuff and not have to sweat money. Now, if you think about it, that's not like a crazy dream. You know what I mean? Like, I need a thousand yearly students. Is not like, well, good luck with that. I don't need a million, right? And so uh, that's it. We need, a, we, we need a thousand. I'd be doing okay. We're, we're, we're a... We're a ways off from that. We're a couple hundred, not everybody's yearly. And a lot of people signed up early. But uh, if you view it that way, it's, I can see it. It's conceivable. Uh, where, oh, look, I could do that. And so that's, that's what we're trying to do. I like that. I like the thousand thing. I like that number. That's a good number. Um, okay. So last, I don't want to say CD you bought because you might have bought it digitally, but last music you bought. I, so I, it's all digital, and I'm on Spotify. The, I'll tell you the album I'm listening to a lot is Songs of Experience by U2 that just came out about three weeks ago, which is great, especially the first seven tracks or six tracks uh, are really good. So the new U2 album is the, is the latest album that I'm obsessing on, I guess. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. I've been obsessing on Glenn Campbell since he passed. Like, I just can't. I've watched Get Me Glenn Campbell on Netflix. I've just been taken in and all. Like, just it's getting like crazy. But anyways, <laughs> he was quite. He was quite a guitarist. That's. The, I mean, the thing yeah. is, and that a music, lot of people don't realize mu- his his studio guitar work. Yeah, that music just ate. You know, has aged well too. Most of it, at least. Hey, and Lee. he was part of. And Campbell was part of the Wrecking Crew. He was part of that group of. Yeah. Musicians. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've got to say goodnight to you because we've got about five seconds left. So thanks for coming okay. on. We'll have, we'll have to do it again. And, Anytime. Uh, sounds good. Thank you, man. Okay, bye. Be a part of the report and help it grow. Share it. 
Do you enjoy listening to The Mallard Report, the fastest hour in paranormal talk radio? Please visit TMR247.com and listen to past or present reports. Subscription is free or listen on your favorite app. Well, we're just going to have to sit back and and, uh, watch, okay? Uh, And when I say watch, don't listen to anybody. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to CNN. Don't listen to the New York Times. Don't listen to the Washington Post. Watch what they do, okay? The opinions expressed on the Mallard Report are those of the host and participants. All listeners are advised to make their own decisions. Get connected with Take-Two Radio on Facebook or Twitter at Take-Two Radio. For email updates on future shows, follow at Blog Talk Radio. For previous episodes, upcoming guests, and more, visit Take-TwoRadio.com. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.